0: We begin today's podcast in a little church in Queenstown, New Zealand. On Christmas Eve, no less, we listen in on a conversation between the world's most famous blockhead and his friend, who's going to use Scripture to answer his question. We ponder the story of Jesus' birth as we wonder exactly where were Mary's accommodations that night, and then we ask the question, What did Jesus mean by the eye of the needle? All on the way to answering the question, Are you comfortable? Welcome to the Sky Pilot podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Several years ago, I had the wonderful and rare opportunity to travel over Christmas. Now, in roughly 30 years as an active minister, I had, for obvious reasons, never been away from the church on Christmas Eve. It also meant that I got to listen to someone else preach on Christmas Eve. So there I am, sitting in a small church in New Zealand on Christmas Eve. We listen to the reading from the second chapter of Luke, you know, the one that begins with these words. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This passage from Luke is perhaps, well, one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture, and it is by far the most popular and well-known version of the birth of Jesus. Luke has a beauty and an intimacy in his writing about this that is, well, let's just say lacking in the Gospel of Matthew which is less about the birth and more about what's happening in the world at the time of the birth. So the story from Luke is popular because of the way it's written, and, well, partly because for those of us of a particular generation, it was made even more recognizable by it being cited by Linus in the 1965 TV special called A Charlie Brown Christmas. If you'll recall, if you've seen this, Charlie Brown gets lost in all the trappings of Christmas. And it's his friend, Linus, who comes to the rescue by quoting a bit of scripture. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, Lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Now, Linus, for brevity's sake, skips over the first paragraph of this story, but in church we read it as well on Christmas Eve. And it was interesting that it was this first paragraph that the sermon focused on that night in New Zealand. This paragraph says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the guest room. Okay, the first thing that may jump out at you in this passage, if you know this passage well, is that very end may not sit well with you. You know the story, you've heard it from your childhood, and the passage says that there's no room for them in the inn, not the guest room, as this translation says. Okay, so let's address that before moving on. The Greek word that's used here comes from the word which means dwelling place. And interestingly, when the exact same word, as is used in this passage, is used again later in Luke, it's always translated as guest room. This is the passage when Jesus is making plans for the Last Supper. He sends his disciples ahead of him, and they are told when they encounter a particular man to ask on behalf of Jesus, where is the guest room? where I may eat Passover with my disciples. Wait, you may ask, so there wasn't an inn, but it was a guest room? Yeah, that's kind of what scholars tend to believe. So the idea of Jesus' parents being turned away from the local Motel 6 in Bethlehem is probably not as accurate as his parents arriving at a family member's home and there was no place for them to stay. So, as we know, Jesus was born in the equivalent of the barn. Now, back to the Christmas Eve sermon. The entire sermon really focused on one thing. Mary and Joseph were not turned away because there was no room. That was not the way society worked back then. Instead, she was in labor, and they were given the best and most practical place to give birth. The barn. So, according to this sermon, the story has a radically different tenor to it. They weren't two desperate parents giving birth to their first child in a dark corner of the only place available. They were instead welcomed by family and given the prime choice location for birthing a child. They were honored by this place. But, but there's a huge glaring problem with this notion. Now, whether we want to call it a guest room or the inn, there can be no doubt about the couple of words that precede that word. The Bible says there was no room. There was no room in the guest room. There was no room in the end. Whatever you want to translate it, there was no room. So as I listened to the sermon, I thought two things. First, we've taken a story that has a certain amount of discomfort written into it, and we've taken that away. Now it's a sweet and comfortable story. Second, I was reminded at that moment of another Bible passage that I've heard someone take a similar approach. In the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, there's a wealthy man who approaches Jesus in an effort to discover what he must do to ensure his place in the kingdom of God, to make sure he gets eternal life, to make sure he gets into heaven. Jesus tells him, follow the commandments. And the man answers, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered him, if you want to be perfect, Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this particular passage is disturbing, particularly if you fall into the category of being rich. So let's ask the question, who is rich? I know most of us want to say, well, Bill Gates, he's rich. But let's really talk about some fair judgments of who is rich. So here are a couple of guidelines to help you judge. If you can save money, then you fall in the category of having more than you need, and you are rich. If you will eventually be able to buy the things you really want, then you have more than you need, and you are rich. If you can afford to make the occasional impulse of an unwise purchase without it affecting your ability to afford food to survive, then you have more than you need, and you are rich. Okay, now it makes sense why a passage like this is so deeply disturbing for some of us. When confronted by a passage like this, you really have two choices, don't you? Take it seriously or ignore it, right? No. No, there's a very popular third choice. You see, if you've done much Bible study, then you will probably have heard that there is a narrow gate in Jerusalem. This gate was known as the eye of the needle by the people of Jesus' time. It was small enough that someone riding a camel would have to dismount and lead their camel through in order to navigate this very narrow, small gate. Wow, wait, so so Jesus wasn't saying it was impossible for a rich person to enter heaven. He was saying that you have to, in essence, get off your camel to get in. So often when dealing with a passage that makes us uncomfortable, there is a third choice, right? We rewrite it so it means something that's more palatable, that's more easily adaptable to the way we're currently living. Wait, wait, you might ask. Before we move on, is there any truth to this? Before we dismiss it, we should consider it. Well, in short, no. There's not a single ancient document that references a gate being referred to as the eye of the needle. Not a single one. But that doesn't stop this from being a very popular theory passed amongst Christians to make this passage more comfortable. So why do we do this? Why do we take a passage like the birth narrative or the passage about how hard it is to get into heaven and change them to have a meaning that they were never intended to have? Well, in short, it is about our comfort, isn't it? I believe with all my heart that God wants us to know that we are loved. God created us, God adores us, and God wants us to know it. If God wants us to know how much we are loved, then it stands to reason by today's modern sensibilities that God also wants us to be comfortable, right? There's no question that Jesus came to proclaim the love of God, but let's look at how he manifested that love in his own life. Jesus, during his life, is asked roughly 180-something, I think 187 is what I've seen, questions. He answers, in some form, about eight of them. But we can watch in Scripture as Jesus himself asks over 300 questions of other people. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that Jesus wants us to know that we are loved, but that our comfort doesn't really rate very high on his priorities. Matter of fact, it seems that Jesus is pushing us to sit with the questions, to be uncomfortable with the questions, and then to see where that discomfort leads us and what we might learn in the process. That's all for today. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you get notified of future episodes. Also, you can find me on Facebook and YouTube. Just search for Sky Pilot Faith Quest. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, my email address is dan at skypilot.zone. That's dan at skypilot.zone. And as always, I would love to hear from you. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to Sky Pilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.